Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes and exactly twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. I'm joined today by the star of Teach Me About the Great Lakes, Megan Gunn. Megan, what's up? Nothing much, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fired up. It's iced coffee season and my iced coffee is a little more potent than my black, my regular coffee. And so I've got extra vigor, which I think is the one thing I needed in life is extra vigor. So I'm super fired up. Awesome. Yeah, but I'm actually more fired up because we're going to do a draft today. Uh, But before we get to the draft, there's actually a Great Lakes factoid that I want to share. So let's just go right to that if I can find the thingy. There's the thingy. Ready? Let's do it. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Cha. Today's Great Lakes factoid is one I looked up in preparing for today's draft, and it it is this. Uh, You know, there's a lot of um, concern in the Great Lakes about invasive species, right? It's a really big deal in this region. And so today's Great Lakes factoid is about the invasive uh, zebra mussel, which, as everybody knows, is uh, Drysena polymorpha, of course. And uh, it, it was first discovered in the Great Lakes region in Lake St. Clair, which everybody knows where that is, in June of 1988. <laughs> so we are now, what does that mean? We are like f- almost 40 years, 35 years into uh, dealing with um, the muscle invasion. So that's a factoid, Megan. I like it. Yeah. And I will also say I love the jingles. I think they're fantastic. I don't know if anybody else enjoys them as much as I do. I, I, Every time. I think only one person enjoys them as much as you do. And that's me. But I, so <laughs> when the pandemic's over, the jingles are going to be uh, lesser. Um, anyway, but so the reason I mentioned that is because today we're going to be drafting aquatic invasive species prevention techniques, technologies, ideas, whatever, you know, we leave it wide open because it's more fun that way, but we're going to be drafting those. And so what I'm going to do is we actually have, this is the biggest, is this right? Yeah. The biggest teach me about the Great Lakes and teach me about the Great Lakes history. And that's not even counting Carolyn's cat. And so, um, uh, so we're going to introduce people in the order that they will be picking the drafts. It's an all-star crew of new and returning guests. And so I'm very excited. And uh, so uh, rather than play more uh, goofy songs, let's just jump right into it. And so the first uh, pick, don't pick yet. We're going to introduce them in. But the first pick uh, is going to be Greg Hitzroth. Greg, a return guest, is an outreach specialist with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant and the Illinois Natural History Survey. Greg, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. I have my decaf coffee, so I'm on the other <laughs> spectrum of you, so toning it down for the afternoon. So. Uh, that sounds good. Maybe that's why you're so tall. You don't, The caffeine's suppressing it as much. I take it. <laughs> uh, second up is, is um, um, Tim Campbell, aquatic invasive species specialist with Wisconsin Sea Grant. Tim, how's it going? It's, uh, it's going well, Stuart. Um, excited to be a part of the draft. All decked out my staff aquatic hitchhikers. Uh, attire to get a good team look at that i'm i'm uh that's good a good team does have a good uniform uh third pick will be megan gunn but megan we already know how you're doing uh so we're gonna keep moving or no i but what you don't know is that aquatic invasives are near and dear to my heart because i spent seven years managing a lab that focused on native invasive species so this i'm really excited for today awesome well i love that you're right and i apologize i did not know that i didn't know how near and dear they were to your heart and now i do so i feel i feel warmer uh (laughs) next up is uh, olivier morissette he is the ais division chief aquatic invasive species division chief for the uh, quebec ministry of forestry wildlife and parks over there in quebec city olivier how are you this afternoon 
Hi, Stuart. Yeah, I'm fine. I hope uh, you are hearing me, hearing me okay here uh, just downstream of the Great Lakes uh, in Quebec City. Well, we're excited to have you on. Thank you for coming. And then uh, p- picking fifth out of sixth is uh, Carolyn Foley, Illinois Indiana Sea Grant Research Coordinator. Carolyn, how's it going? It, it's going well, and um, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And then I, of course, as the gracious host, will be picking last. Um, and I think of the crew on here, I have the least expertise about aquatic invasive species, or at least I did before this morning. We'll see how it went. All right, Greg, why don't you kick it off for us? All right. So I love a good collaboration. Um, and I think the first thing that I think about when I think about prevention of AIS or aquatic invasive species in the Great Lakes is the Great Lakes Fishery Commission and the 1954 Convention on Great Lakes Fishery. So it was the first attempt to uh, have a multi-state, multinational management of sea lamprey, which was introduced through the enhancement of the well on canal. And so it was a huge effort, um, binational effort, to control sea lamprey to help the larger fishery in the Great Lakes. And so I think it falls into prevention because it is uh, also preventative management efforts came out of this Great Lakes Fishery Commission. So that's my first pick. The 1954 Convention on Great Lakes Fishery. It's almost like you're going back to first principles with this one. I, I like it. Yeah. It's a good I pick. mean, I'm the first pick, so I had to, I had to pick <laughs> a, a historical one. A, a classic first-round pick, though. But yeah, I think it is. Uh, that's really excellent. Uh, wonderful. 1954 Convention on Great Lakes Fisheries. And you can find a link to that in our show notes. Uh, and that is uh, teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash 29. Because this is episode 29. Yeah. And they're still meeting. The Great Lakes Fishery Commission meets yes. every year. I think they're actually doing some virtual meetings next week um, toward the end of March 2021 to, to talk about what's going to happen this year and things mm. like that. So. Another way to phrase that is they, they did some great meetings last week. Um, and uh, I really learned a lot about uh, invasive species in those. So um, <laughs> uh, uh, behind the scenes, we record these in advance. Uh, great. Tim. Second pick in the draft, man. A lot, of, a lot of things still up on the board. A lot of things still up on the board, but I don't think I can be wearing my Stop Aquatic Hitchhikers hat or have my Stop Aquatic Hitchhikers beverage koozie and not pick Stop Aquatic Hitchhikers, the, the National Aquatic Invasive Species Outreach brand. It was uh, created by the Aquatic News and Species Task Force in 2002 with help from Sea Grant and a few other partners nationally and uh, organizations across the country use this to reach out to boaters to help uh, educate them and raise awareness about aquatic invasive species. And what I really like about it is that uh, the brand is so powerful that even people that haven't been or haven't seen it before still have some understanding of what it means. They know that they're supposed to take action to prevent the spread of invasive species. So because this has been used for so long and uh, across the country, you know, I feel like it's a, a really valuable contributor to my team and should really help help us out <laughs> for AIS <laughs> prevention. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, you're starting off with a star already, right? That's the thing is, is if you're going to do it, you might as well start with the big guns and uh, stop aquatic hitchhiker. Sure is that, if nothing else. So uh, um, where, where did it start exactly? Like, do you know where the genesis of it? I know 2002 with the Aquatic Nuisance Species Task Force and okay. Sea Grant. Uh, I know Doug Jensen with Minnesota Sea Grant uh, had a lot of influence in it. And I think there was also um, like a branding contractor that also helped out with it so yeah so we're at 20 years of that almost y'all should do a big celebration next year um i 
to celebrate it looks like the aquatic news and species task force put out an rfp to help evaluate it <laughs> to see uh, what kind of impacts it had so hopefully as a like 22 year anniversary yeah uh, we'll yeah. be able to release that report <laughs> i remember seeing that rfp actually so we're we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day, and I'm wearing a Patty's Pub shirt. I don't know if anybody else watches. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, but um, there's because I have seen a lot of stop aquatic hitchhiker stuff on billboards. I need to say this for anybody in the crowd: I bought a billboard. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't watch, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Then that doesn't make any sense. All right. <laughs> uh, that that's good. Congrats on buying a billboard. And you're right; that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Yes, yes. Anytime I see Sea Grant related billboard, that's the main one you see. But uh, I do get excited. Um, you know, it's cool to see your stuff up on a billboard, man. Yeah, I love it. Megan, what do you have in the first round? On the same lines of catchy slogans, I'm going to go with Be a Hero, Transport Zero. It's it's great. It talks about all the things that we want people to do, right? We don't want you to transport anything from whatever body of water that you're in. This is very broad. Whatever body of water that you're in to a new body of water because you don't know what's hitchhiking. You, you just you just have no idea. So be a hero. Transport zero. Yeah, be a hero. Transport zero. So what does that mean exactly? Be a hero. Transport zero. To me. Oh, go ahead, Greg. No, I'm, I, I'm all yours. <laughs> I was going to say to me, it means that you can you can help in this effort by doing what you can to not transport these invasive species. So you can be a hero. You can wear a cape and not do the bad things. <laughs> Excellent. And for those interested in more information on that, they can go to the website. Oh, I screwed it up last time, though, because it is not what I thought it was. Greg, what's the Be a Hero website? It is transportzero.org. There it is. Not beahero.org, which I remember was a very worthy cause, but a different very worthy cause. <laughs> hmm. I thought it was like child abduction or something. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, beahero.org is, uh, yeah, no, it's anti-child trafficking, which I mean, also very important. Uh, Go to both of these is what you should do. Um, Great. Um, All right. Well, we're really rounding out our teams here. A lot of good things still on the board, though, uh, including every single one of my picks. So I'm fired up. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to have a lot of choice, I think. Olivier, though, your first pick. Yes, uh, I think uh, I think I will pick uh, the creativity of partners to install uh, cleaning stations, and and a lot of them don't have really a good budget, but they are really creative to install cleaning station and technology to help people clean their boats. So, and that's that's the key to compliance to have access to those cleaning stations. That's excellent. My pick wasn't creativity, but mine was going to be cleaning stations. So mine was totally just stolen. <laughs> Yeah, mine was sniped too. That was yeah. Although mine was called, uh, and I wrote this in my notes: "Wash the crap." Um, <laughs> same idea, cleaning stations. And so, why are cleaning stations so important for invasive species uh, prevention? Yeah, for sure that those those different uh, species can can get stuck and get uh, attached to those those boats. So um, there is an important step for uh, every boaters and and uh, water body user to to clean those boats to be sure not to down transport anything. So yeah, to be a hero. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And also to stop aquatic hitchhikers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is you can do both at the same time, right? right? These are not mutually sure. exclusive uh, uh, activities. All right, Carolyn, first round, what do you have for us? 
Well, I had cleaning stations, but that was taken. Um, I will say apps like the USGS app to report things. And I don't know um, what the what's the equivalent in Canada? Uh, Les app. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's variability, but in Ontario, you can use uh, EDD maps. Yeah. And we can put links to those too. So if you actually see something that you suspect is an invasive species, you can report it quickly and then, um, different authorities can, can be alerted. Huh. That is cool. All right. Apps. Has anybody used an app to report an invasive species? No. Not yet. Tim has. Yeah. You're such a... You're an invasive species. You sit in the front row of invasive species class, Tim. I, I think I reported a goby population once in a stream uh, really? in Lake Michigan for or Lake Michigan tributary. And then yeah. I mostly just wanted to verify that I would also get the verification email since a lot of those apps, <laughs> uh, you know, professionals will verify the findings. <laughs> so I submitted an observation <laughs> and then got the verification. And I was like, yes, it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. This is the same for me also. I'm, I'm verificator for a, a French app uh, in Quebec, which is called Sentinel. And uh, also sometimes picking on, putting on some, some sighting and, and verified it myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little checkbox. QAQC in action. Yep. Yeah, that's good. That's important stuff. Important stuff. Uh, good. All right. So for me in the first round, what I'm going to pick is uh, the idea of knowledge. But not any knowledge, not any knowledge. So I'm a social scientist by trade uh, when I'm not moving papers from the left side of my desk to the right side of my desk. And uh, so a common thing that you'll see, I think, when it comes to like behavior change is this idea that like knowledge will, you know, if you give people knowledge, they will become better human beings and uh, they will change their behavior. Um, and uh, that's not always true, right? Knowledge doesn't make people magically better or able to overcome whatever the barriers are to change and things like that. But specific knowledge or knowledge in specific Conditions can be really important. And that's like knowledge about how to do things. So I want to prevent invasive species, right? Um, but do I know the steps to take? That can be really important. Do I know like, oh, I want to wash my boat. Do I know how to do it? Do I know the right way to do it? And so that sort of specific knowledge has been shown in study after study with regards to environmental behavior that, you know, in the domain specific knowledge on how to take the steps you want to take is really important. So in round one, I am picking knowledge, but uh, not just any knowledge. All right. That is the end of round one. It's a good start so far. Um, if we had commercials, this is where I would insert a commercial. This is Bonnie and Sydney here from Wisconsin Sea Grants Introduced Podcast. We're here for some commentary on this intense first round of drafts. So first from Greg, we have the Great Lakes Fisheries Commission. It's a really old, strong program. It's got a big reputation as a powerhouse for AIS management. Started with sea lamprey, but they've been in this game for a long time. We've seen a lot of good science coming out of the commission. Next from Tim and Megan, we're seeing a battle of the brands. The Stop Aquatic Hitchhikers outreach brand is used throughout the country. Be a Hero Transport Zero from Megan. That's really strong branding from Illinois Sea Grant and their partners. Can't go wrong with that. Olivia swipe cleaning stations before Carolyn. That was a pretty bold move. Um, I like this one. I think it offers like a lot of concrete actions people can take at a site. And it really gets you thinking about it while you're out like enjoying a place. 
I think this might be like an emotional pick on me, but why why is it an emotional pick for you? Just because I like really think it's satisfying to scrub the mud off my boot. Like is it going to prevent all AS from spreading? Probably not, but it is really satisfying. So I'm going to give this a huge yes. Carolyn's picking the reporting apps for introductions. Some examples are like the Great Lakes Early Detection Network app and the Midwest Invasive Species Information Network app, which we'll have linked in the show notes. I've heard that there's a big disconnect between seeing something new and like actually reporting it. And I think the reporting apps have a huge opportunity to really step into that gap and become dominant. This is the pick that not enough people are talking about, but I feel really confident in its ability to empower people to be more aware. I think we're going to be paying attention to this one. I don't think we should be sleeping on it. Stuart is representing all the social scientists out there by picking the right knowledge. Like, what is the right knowledge that people really need to know to get them to change their behavior? I think this is a pretty ambitious one. Lots of people around the world are studying behavior change. There's a lot of research we need to do to get to the bottom of this one. All right. uh, So first round is in the books. One for the ages, I think it's fair to say. Um, And so this is not a snake style draft. So we're going back to the top. And so, Greg, uh, with the second pick in the draft, what do you got? Uh, Second. Nope. First pick of the second round. Come on, Stuart. Yeah, yeah, get it right. Um, man, uh, this is a tough one, but I went very broad and historic, and I want to do something a little more concurrent this time. So I'm picking um, Terry Hallisey, one of our education specialists with Sea Grant, and not just because of Terry, but because of the work that she does, which is working with educators and like working in classrooms. So actually bringing invasive species information to teachers to take to kids, which can take that information to their parents. And it's a really great way to um, get kids involved in invasive species action and like create a new generation of awareness and action um, in the Great Lakes. And so I think that's a very important um, aspect of invasive species prevention is sowing the seed early of invasive species prevention. And so Terry Halsey, um, also Helen Domsky, like she's retired now, but like what a force. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I thought at first you were just picking Terry, but uh, but I think that would be a good pick. It's kind of a, um, but it's that sowing the seed early. It's such a poetic way of putting it, of invasive species prevention. So I, was, I think what probably falls within Greg's pick might be the the Great Lakes Sea Grant Network Aquatic Invasive Species Attack Packs of the K-12 through education, uh, I guess, grab-and-go packs that have aquatic invasive species specimens and lesson plans that... I know you can check out through the Wisconsin Water Library, but I think what? they're also available through why can I Siegel. Siegel, the Center for Great Lakes Literacy, yeah. So Correct. tell me about that. I don't actually know anything about these. So teachers can check these out, attack packs. Um, yep. and automatically they feel cool because it's got such a cool name. But but it, it so it's like you know, curriculum in a box type thing. Yep, curriculum in a box and a flash drive and online. Oh um, awesome. But it, <laughs> the the lesson plans all uh I guess, correspond to science education standards. And um, yeah, I feel like I should have more insightful things to say about it than that. But uh, they are a lot of fun for anyone that's ever checked them out. I use them all of the time for outreach events. People love the specimens and some of the activities are uh, really good. A lot of them can be done in you know, 15, 20 minutes. Oh, great. And actually, in this homeschooling era, uh, you know, um, it might be worth parents looking, out, looking at as well, especially for the online materials. That's wonderful. All right, Tim, pick two. So I, I think I went with a well-established name 
in the first round with Stop Aquatic Hitchhiker. So I think I want to go with uh, a high risk, hopefully high reward pick for the second round. And I'm going to, I guess, call my pick StopTheSpiny.com. I don't know if you've seen that video at StopTheSpiny.com. Uh, but I think generally it kind of covers art and science collaborations. I work with a social scientist, uh, Dr. Brett Shaw at UW-Madison. We put together a video on you know, educating people about spiny water fleas and things that they can do to prevent their spread. Uh, but we were really creative. I think that's a kind of light way to put it <laughs> in how we presented the topic. And uh, we've been learning a lot from that video. We published a paper in the Journal of Extension about promotion for it. Um, it's taught us a few other things about uh, kind of invasive species metaphors that spun off into some different work. But I think why this could be really important is that, you know, I think we've been communicating to uh, the same boaters in some pretty you know, consistent ways for the past 20 years. And so if we're going to start getting that last 10% of boaters to you know, change their behaviors, they might not be responding to the same things we've been doing for the past 20 years. So we might need new creative approaches to reach the people that, you know, are already listening. So whether it's crazy videos like StopTheSpiny.com, um, you know, other videos, creative storytelling, things like that, I think uh, investing some more resources there could really help close the gap and get us from, you know, 90% to 95 or 99% of voters taking action. I, I love that, especially because... I mean, we kind of know the the language that we've been using for the last 20 years hasn't been resonating with them because if it had, it would be at 100 already. So taking that next step to make a change. Do we have an I idea? And Tim, this is actually something that you and I and some others are going to work on in the uh, soon, hopefully. Um, remind me to ask you about that funding. But uh, do, <laughs> do, we, uh, do we have an idea um, about like what percent of voters it is that, that are you know, fairly responsive to this message? Is it as high as 90 percent or is it, is it lower? It ranges from state to state. We do a, a regular survey in Wisconsin of voters, uh, and we just completed the third one in the past 10 years. And so that's you know, about 90% of Wisconsin voters are aware of the AIS regulations and you know, self-reported take action. I'm sure it's not quite that high, uh, but that's what we have in Wisconsin. And then it kind of varies from state to state, I think, probably depending on the, the funding that your program has to you know, implement different programs. Yeah. My next question related to that is, are are you reaching the voters that are going out regularly? Or is it, or I mean, is it the voters that just kind of go and recreate sometimes that, that you reach? Like who, who is the target audience? I guess we, is my question. We'd like to be, well, with I think our current AIS outreach uh, efforts, especially in Wisconsin with our Clean Boats, Clean Waters watercraft inspection programs, you know, we're inspecting a lot of the same places, you know, investing 200 hours a summer to get uh, to reach people at those landings. So you're probably reaching a lot of the same people that use that same body of water. But if there's no inspections present, we're probably not reaching them with a message. And so, you know, I think with some of these you know, art science collaborations, we could be targeting infrequent boaters that are unlikely to come across an inspector or, you know, a boater that boats someplace where there aren't, you know, inspectors or people there to, you know, reach out to them about invasive species. So, and I wanted to ask a question of uh, Olivier. Um, do you have a sense in Ontario and Quebec, um, which, like, how many people seem to be responsive the way that Tim just said, you know, it might be as high as 90% in? Um, we don't have a formal um, uh, estimation of that, but um, for for the few uh, events that we are doing on, on landings uh, uh, and, and uh 
by talking to people, we, 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 we are seeing that um, most of them are, are really aware of that. And, and uh, I think they are practicing um, a certain level of, of uh, inspection and, and, and cleaning. But yeah, no, um, I don't have any numbers to tell for, for you for, about an estimation of that. Great. Uh, well, I love it. Creative, uh, creativities, um, uh, collaborations, and trying to get that last 5 to 10% of voters in Wisconsin or maybe more. And if you haven't checked out the work that Tim does uh, in social media and things like that, uh, he does really good work. And he really is, I think, work. I think it's a real strength of, of, of his outreach stuff. And I'll be completely 100% honest. As I remember, Tim and I were at uh, something they call Seagrant Academy together. And he talked a lot about how he was doing Facebook Lives and things like that at the time. And it really changed the way I think about extension, just generally. Uh, that's legitimately true. Um, because uh, I just hadn't integrated all of that stuff into my work. And I still don't necessarily, again, because my primary job right now is moving papers from one side of the desk to the other. But um, it, uh, in all honesty, probably has a direct influence on why this show even exists. Uh, it, well, an indirect influence, I guess, on why the show exists. So I recommend you check it out. Um, and uh, anytime you can incorporate creativity regardless, go for it, people. Megan Gunn, second pick, second round. So I'm going to expand on what you said, Stuart, about knowledge and giving specific steps. And one of the things I recommend, um, especially if there isn't a wash station and cleaning station at your boat ramp, is disinfecting your boat and your equipment when you get home. So I like to use bleach or use a lot of <laughs> use a lot of bleach when I was in the research lab because it is an effective way to kill anything else that is living and letting it sit for a while. And what we we would do is spray equipment overnight, especially if we were going out the next day, spray it at the end of the day, let it sit, and then it's dry and things are most likely dead um, when you go out the next day. Ah, oh, that's a total snipe. That was my other pick. <laughs> All right, I've got another one in mind, <laughs> but uh, great minds think alike. So how much uh, yeah. um, do you happen to know, like, so like, should people just pour straight bleach on their stuff or what? No, oh my gosh. I mean, you can, but no, that is not the recommendation. I... <laughs> I go 10% bleach, um, sometimes a little bit more. Depending on how icky I think a body of water is, I may I may go a little bit more than 10%, um, just because you just never know. Yeah. But, I mean, 100% bleach is going to kill everything. Yeah. Um, I happen to know because of my research. So 10% bleach is about 13 ounces of bleach uh, per gallon of water. I did not translate that into metric, but uh, we won't ask Carolyn to based on past experience, but you can do that, uh, Canadian <laughs> listeners. Um <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but I will, I wanted to say we can make a scale for Megan's scale of ickiness yeah. that you can like, <laughs> decide. I think that would be fantastic. All right. Actually, I just realized the appropriate rejoinder is thanks to the metric system. It's not actually hard at all to calculate 10% bleach. Um, <laughs> just move a decimal point and get on with it. All right. Uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. We do need a scale of ickiness. So this will be a future episode perhaps, right? Uh, that sounds like a Halloween episode. Uh, oh, yeah, Megan's spooky scale of ickiness. Uh, two Halloweens. <laughs> we already got a plan for this one. Um, great. Uh, Olivier, second pick for you. Yes. Uh, my second pick is thing that you can touch. Uh, you want to, to uh, give knowledge to people, but sometimes you have to attract them to you to talk to them. So um, having a booth with, with things that are moving or, or people can touch, they are literal magnet for, for people. Um, I was in 2019 in October in Montreal at the International Conference on Aquatic Invasive Species. And I think it was the Great Lake Fisheries Commission who had some living sea lampreys. And uh, 
it was mm. it was jaw dropping, and it's quite a feat for a jawless fish to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, there was so many people around those lamprey, and after that, you have people around you, you can talk to them, and, and we had the same experience with plastic model of of Asian carps and and spiny worldly, and and those are amazing to attract people and and engage with them to to talk about anything related to AIS. It's partly because some of them look so bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like when you guys were talking about spiny water fleet, they look like they're going to do battle with you or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the attack packs that Tim was talking about, we use some of those models at outreach and trade shows, um, and they, like, have made people do U-turns to come back to our booth to talk about crayfish. And so, Excellent. It's wonderful, Yeah. yeah. All right, good. Uh, second pick of the, or uh, well, the fifth pick of the second round, I guess. Second pick for you, Carolyn. What do you got? Um, so I'm going to go a slightly different direction, and I'm going to say ballast water exchange. Um, so when um, vessels that head out to the ocean and then come into the Great Lakes and come down, um, that was the way that uh, dry synod mussels, so zebra mussels and now quagga mussels, um, were likely introduced um, and a variety of the other species we're talking about were all introduced that way too. They they took a ride across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and then, you know, we can think about, we talked about this in another episode, that things from our ecosystem can go to places across the ocean too. Um, so um, there is, one of the things they started to do to try to combat this is when the ships are out at sea, they mix their ballast water um, and in an attempt to kind of um, kill off anything that can't survive in salt water. It's not a hundred percent effective, but it, they think it has helped. So, and even if people are just thinking about it, and I don't know, um, others may have other thoughts on this, but I think it was a big step in the right direction toward thinking about how to stop spreading things. So Carolyn, when you, uh, when you say mix ballast water, what do you mean by mixing so like they would, you know, potentially take on, um, take on water on in one fresh water area over in Europe or Eurasia or something like that, and then head out into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And then they would switch the water out there so that any organisms that they brought with them from Eurasia or something like that would potentially be spewed out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean rather than riding all the way across. And then when they, um, when they release water and, um, or add um, I don't know the proper term, but add freight or things like that. Um, if they released that water in another freshwater system like Saginaw Bay or something like that, or the port of Indiana, um, they would potentially, or the port up in Duluth or anything like that, um, they would potentially introduce new organisms that would be like, hey, yeah, sure, we'll live here. Um, so Thank I don't you. know. I think Tim was going to say something. I was hoping some of my fellow AIS specialists uh, could support me on this one, but I think. Kind of the the line is that we haven't discovered a like a new established ballast water invader since 2006 in the bloody red shrimp. Uh, I think there's been a handful of you know, discoveries of non-native plankton species. I think in Lake Erie too. Yeah, Craig. Um, but they're cryptic species, so they've maybe been here a while, and people have been misidentifying them for a while. And I don't know if they're established. So maybe people know more than me about those. <laughs> But um, and uh, within lakes also can can be uh, can be a, a vector too. So there is also regulation to to clean those those ballasts with some technology like like 
bleach or UV or there was a couple of mountain technology on those vessels that don't go out in the in the ocean. They just stay in fresh water. So you also have to to clean those because you don't have access to salt water to clean those ballasts. Right, right. So so there are some like there are some um, ships that like Olivia said, stay within the Great Lakes and they also have some technologies to try to treat what's in there. So they're not taking something from one spot to another unintentionally. So. Great. And then with the, uh, f- so uh, ballast water exchange, do it. Just do the ballast water exchange. It's not that hard. Or ballast water treatment. Treatment? Sniper- Anything that you guys had left, <laughs> Olivia just gave it to me. That's right. Related, <laughs> remotely ballast related. Um, although he took a c- creativity first. So any. <laughs> That's a lot of things there. Um, no, for my final pick, so so mine, I do have a theme. Like Tim, putting together a team, right? And so my team, though, we're going to have more of a specialty, and that is we're going to be working on on like the the manager and outreach side, right? And so first we have knowledge, like what is the right type of knowledge? But for the second thing uh, is the idea of removing barriers. Uh, and by that, I do not mean the electric barriers or all of that. Those barriers <laughs> are important. Um, but I mean removing the barriers to uh, pro, you know to pro-environmental behavior. So a lot of people want to do the right thing. Uh, They want to wash their boat. They want to exchange their ballast water. But in the context in which this is something they might do, you know, people are coming in from fishing, long day in the water, they're tired. Maybe they know how to do it. Maybe they don't. There's a lot of potential barriers um, in between them and uh, the the AIS uh, prevention friendly behavior, right? And and so the more of those barriers we can remove, the more likely it is that they are like uh, that they will do the thing that we're hoping they do to prevent AIS. So that's things like having really good functioning cleaning stations, right? Um, making uh, ballast water exchange as easy as possible. Basically, making it so that people don't have to work that much to get the thing done, and then they're much more likely to do it. So removing barriers. All right, and that, uh, let's see. We will now go to Bonnie and Sid to grade our picks. Hey, it's Sydney and Bonnie here, back to debrief you after another really shocking round of picks. So first we saw Greg pick the Great Lakes Sea Grant Network Education Efforts, which is a win for sure, I think. Um, It's good to sow the Great Lakes seed early, get people thinking about it. Also, I love a good art-science collaboration like Tim chose. We've got to be really creative and always try new methods of reaching people. For those people who haven't seen the Stop the Spiny video, you're in for a treat, let me tell you that. (laughs) From Megan, we have bleach and chemical disinfection techniques. These are so important. We've talked about New Zealand mud snail on our podcast Introduced. And you need to disinfect your boots, waders, and gear to prevent the spread of these tiny little invasive snails. And then Olivier comes in with specimens. And I think it definitely makes a difference to be able to see aquatic invasive species in person. And I'd like to give a shout out to the few lucky dead sea lamprey that were unknowingly preserved and now are toted around by AIS specialists all over the Great Lakes region. Also, like the crayfish that are preserved in the attack packs, nothing can parallel handling specimens yourself. Carolyn picks the ballast water exchange, which I think is huge. There was a huge fight to getting international treaties for ballast water regulation, and we're already seeing it pay off. And then lastly, removing barriers to environmental education is a really solid choice that really, like, 
I think is helpful with like AIS prevention, but also all sorts of other environmental challenges. I think it's ambitious, but it is an important player in stopping the spread of AIS. Now, I noticed one glaring mistake for this round. How could no one mention podcasts as an aquatic invasive species education tool? I mean, come on. Seriously. So um, minus points for not mentioning podcasts. I mean, maybe it's implied because you're listening to this on a podcast. Giant oversight. Right. Specifically introduced from Wisconsin Sea Grant, a podcast all about the Great Lakes changing waters and introduced species. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. Now, so good. So two really strong rounds. Anybody else? We can just do a quick lightning round. Throw off anything that was left on your list you want to talk about briefly. Uh, we'll just go, you know, one at a time, um, quick and quick and dirty. Uh, Greg, what you got? Um, risk assessments. So looking at biological characteristics to see which species are likely to be invasive. So for has implications for trade. Uh, so like what species are likely to be invasive that might be in trade as well as which species are already here that are likely to become invasive. And so I think risk assessments are a huge um, boon for policy. Yeah, risk assessments. Uh, Tim, anything else on your list? You can throw out one or two, lightning round style. Yes, I, I'll throw out signage. It's you know not flashy, but signs are working even when we're not there. And voters in Wisconsin indicate that signage at the water access points are uh, one of their most uh, commonly used sources of information on aquatic invasive species, and they prefer to get their information that way. So signage. You mean like information on, on the species and what to look out for and stuff like that? Yep. Uh, information on such like the right behaviors to do, how to do those things. Yeah. Information on the species. Great. Signage. Uh, Megan, anything else on your list? Yes, I'm going to go with two um, related to dumping. So on the recreation side, if, or if you uh, if you collect fish for a hobby, and you get bored with the fish, don't just dump it in your local body of water. Um, donate it to a school. Their schools are always looking for fun stuff to educate their their classrooms. Or teachers are always looking for fun things to educate their classrooms with. Um, and then your leftover bait. Don't dump your leftover bait back into the body of water that you could just sat finish fishing in. Dump it in the trash. Dump it in the trash. There we go. Olivier. Yeah, I would say connection. So people uh, care about things that they are connected to or love. So uh, I think um, giving free access to to those nice places around the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence River. So just people to care the, enough for them to protect them. Wonderful. Carolyn. Uh, taxonomists or people who can help identify like when a new thing shows up. I mean, you know, I have to go a little bit nerdy. Um, yes. But they, yeah, so um, when a new thing shows up, and you're like, well, what the heck is this? And sometimes people know nothing about it. Someone who's super specialized and be like, oh, that belongs somewhere else um, can help quickly identify things. And Taxonomist, that's excellent. Yeah. All right. So the other couple on my list were one, um, uh, I lost it. There we go. Prompts is another like tool of social science, right? The idea of having a prompt at the place where you might do so. Just a reminder, because. God knows I forget stuff um, and everybody else does. So prompts is one from like the social science toolbox that I think that, that we can, is important to talk about. Other random things I had on there, uh, like CRISPR techniques. This wigs me out, so I didn't want to pick it because I'm not qualified to actually assess it. But um, they're like inserting and changing up the genes in some places uh, to try to like sterilize uh, invasive species. I don't have an opinion on that, but it is a technique. And it, it's, uh, I mean, I have an opinion. It's like, whoa, we can do crazy cool science things, but I'm not sure... Uh, uh, as to the wisdom of it, I defer to anybody but me. Um, and then uh, last one, I think most important, and we haven't talked about it yet, surprisingly. I honestly thought this was going to be uh, Greg's first pitch, first pick, and that is uh, Gobi Dogs. 
I don't know if you're aware of these. <laughs> um, this is my business that I'm going to start um, in the Chicago initially, although I think now we can do an international expansion potentially. And, and so, you know, they have the carts, right? Uh, they sell hot dogs. Uh, we did New Orleans. They were called Lucky Dogs there, um, which maybe is ironic. Um, or maybe you hope to get lucky. But, uh, I mean, a goby is hot dog shaped, right? This has to be, this has to be uh, an effective technique for uh, minimizing gobies. At least that's my thought. Um, so goby dogs. No. <laughs> No, <laughs> you know that's been a, that's been the universal reaction so far. Yeah, no. yeah. You're about the fourth person to say no, so I think that this is a, yeah, I think this is. Yeah. How many can you eat before you know, like there's like health issues involved with like? Okay, so a lot of people are are making this point, um, uh, and so I hear what you're saying, um, but uh, you know, going back actually to Lucky Dogs and um, New Orleans, and uh, so there's a book about somebody who sold those hot dogs. Uh, called uh, Confederacy of Dunces, which is a, uh, a wonderful sort of uh, um, book uh, that you may have read. But the quote at the beginning, um, let me let me find it so I get it just right. Uh, when a true genius appears, this is Jonathan Jonathan Swift. When a true genius appears, you can know him by this sign that all the dunces are in a confederacy against him. And I am not saying that you are dunces. Of course you're not. I would not invite you on to teach me about the Great Lakes. But what I am saying is that the, the true genius of this idea just isn't apparent to you yet. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, but one day, one day it will be. So, Sydney, how do you think everyone did? Were there any important players that you think were overlooked? I'm personally always down to talk about biocontrol, and I noticed that that was missing. What's biocontrol? Biocontrol is when you use another species to limit the spread of another aquatic invader. One notable example is like purple loosestrife and the cella beetle. Yeah, for sure. When Stuart was talking about goby dogs, I realized he was talking about like a food that's similar to a hot dog, but... I thought that they could have mentioned conservation dogs. Conservation dogs are dogs that are trained to sniff out invasive species. And so you can use dogs to identify spread and see when you might have a new population. Groups like the Midwest conservation dogs are doing really important work. Yeah, great point, Bonnie. Um, one that I was glad to see no one bring up was large-scale herbicide treatments. I think it's time we leave this pick in the past and look for more sustainable ways to manage AIS problems. One pick that I might have chose because I just think it is super fascinating is carp hunting. This is where um, companies take people out on like the Illinois River where there are a lot of silver and big head carp and they take you out and you can bow fish for flying carp. Sydney, you got to do this, right? Yeah, I did get to go carp hunting and I talk way more about that in episode 12 of Introduced. I think we have a lot of good picks on the table, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next. Stuart, back to you.
Well, so that's going to wrap it up for our draft, and this is really interesting. I actually learned a lot already, and I have a lot of research to do. So if I were you, right now, listener, I would go down uh, on your phone um, and look at the show notes there, or go to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash, um, I think I said 29, slash 29 uh, to check it out. But that's actually not the reason why we had all of these panelists on Teach Me About the Great Lakes. The reason we had these panelists on to Teach Me About the Great Lakes is ask our two questions, um, primarily of our new panelists. Uh, but anybody who wants to chime in can. And those two questions are this. The first one is, Olivier, if you could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would you have? Uh, I have to go to sandwich. Uh, yeah. I'm a sandwich, sandwich lover. <laughs> <laughs> a sandwich lover. So when I'm in Quebec City uh, visiting you and uh, Gobi Dog, obviously sandwich, but, but so we'll have one of those. And then the next day we will go out to lunch. And where will we go get a sandwich? Um, there's some places called uh, La Boite à Pain. So uh, it's in English, it's, it could be translated to uh, the bread box. And uh, there is those really fresh bread with a lot of diversity of great sandwiches. Um, suggesting the smoked salmon one, but yeah, you have the, there's a really wide variety of, of amazing sandwich in the La Boite à Pain. There we go. Uh, done and done. I will be there. Uh, Tim Campbell, new guest. You, you sort of addressed this uh, a couple weeks ago um, when you were on, but I think we need to go into more detail. Uh, so, Tim, great sandwich, great donut. Where are you leaning? I'm a great sandwich person. I mean, I think above all, I'm an accommodator. So when we talked about donuts last time, I'll talk about donuts. But uh, I think I'm personally a sandwich person, and I'll give you, I think, two and a half options. Two so if half. you're in Madison, um, I'd go to Bonzo which is Mediterranean. They do really good falafel. There's a food cart usually on the square, but they also have a brick and mortar location right next to the airport. So if you fly in, it's one of the first places you can stop at. So I would do that. And if you're in Madison, and then I have a lot of really good memories of uh, meeting coworkers along Lake Winnebago. There's a, a lot of supper clubs and bars. Uh, you can just grab a sandwich, look over the lake, um, you know, talk about whatever. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of good memories of doing that. So I'll recommend anywhere on Lake Winnebago, but I've been to Waverly Beach, which is at the northern end of the lake, uh, the most. And any of the sandwiches are fine. Any of the sandwiches are fine. It's more it's more a location-based uh, yes. recommendation. That's fine. A guy last week recommended whatever, as long as there was a beer, essentially. And so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, a solid point. Solid point. Um, great. So then, Olivier, you are the Division Chief, Aquatic Invasive Species Division Chief um, for the Quebec Ministry of Forestry, Wildlife, and Parks. What is it that like makes you good at your job, or what are characteristics that are really important in, in your type of job? Um, I think some flexibility or, or being able to touch a lot of different things. Uh, we are um, research-related, but also we are doing outreach, monitoring. So, yeah, you one day you are caring about uh, a boat that is broken, and the next day we are talking about a couple of citizens that, that are worried about their lake. So you have to be ready to all different kinds of uh, situations. Wonderful. And Tim, you are the uh, Aquatic Invasive Species Specialist at Wisconsin Sea Grant. What makes you good at your job? So I think I'm going to engage in a little bit of hyperbole here. Okay. And <laughs> uh, I like to joke that I don't know anything and I'm not good at anything, which I'm, hope, I'm sure is not the case. I think I'm good at a few things, but I think by, I think by like believing that, <laughs> um, it really helps me engage experts that might or that I can learn from them to help, you know, do all these things, you know, the best way possible. And then uh, by not knowing anything. Um... Mind like a blank slate. That's good. 
That's important. No, I think you're right, right? Is is approaching everything. Actually, what I think it is, is approaching things with like a childlike, childlike wonder um, and beginner's mind, I think is really good. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know anything. And I, I don't know anything, too, when I'm talking to stakeholders. Like, I don't know what their problems are. And so, um, you know, just by, I think it gets me in a much more like listening mindset. So that way I can actually understand uh, what, you know, what point they're coming from. Wonderful. Or what point. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Teach Me About the Great Lakes. Greg Hitzroth, Outreach Specialist uh, with Illinois Indiana Secret and the Illinois Natural History Survey. Where can people go to find out more about your work? Well, you can find me on the Sea Grant website, the Illinois Indiana Sea Grant website, but also um, our multiple websites. We have lots of work online. So we have transportzero.org. We have takeaim.org. Uh, which is a, a organisms and trade website. And we also have the Invasive Crayfish Collaborative at invasivecrayfish.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Invasivecrayfish.org. Invasivecrayfish.org. Done and done. Um, who is next on my list? It is Tim Campbell, Aquatic Invasive Species Specialist with Wisconsin Sea Grant. Where can people go to find out more about your work? So you can go to seagrant.wisc.edu to learn more about uh, what we're doing on aquatic invasive species and anything else that we're doing. And, you can get me on Twitter at T underscore Campy. T Campy. Um, fantastic. Megan Gunn, Aquatic Education Associate with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? You can find out what I'm doing on Twitter at underscore TFFP and on Instagram at The Familiar Faces Project. Excellent. Uh, long list today. Uh, Olivier Morissette, AIS Division Chief, uh, Chief, excuse me, with the Quebec Ministry of Forestry, Wildlife, and Parks. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, people can reach me uh, on Twitter uh, at um, omorissette um, on Twitter. So uh, be aware there is a lot of uh, fish fact, fish drawing, and and otolith facts. So you don't know if <laughs> what's an otolith, <laughs> just. Uh, Came in Twitter and you you will know. <laughs> I love a good otolith fact. I did not know. Oh, this will be a whole other episode sometime. I would love to talk about otoliths with you and how completely Dang. incompetent I am at, at uh, slicing them. Uh, great. Carolyn Foley, what about you? Um, well, you can find out more about Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. Um, we are on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, YouTube, I-L-I-N-S-E-A-G-R-A-N-T dot work or something. <laughs> not dot org he always makes me do this and i always get it wrong well that's because if you i don't make you do it i ask where people can find out what your work is like that's such a a big ask okay anyway it's all ilinc grant at all those places and you can go to iicgrant.org and find it i happen to know even though actually i screwed up more than carolyn does to be fair to be fair and to be fair. Uh, to be fair. <laughs> and so uh um but yeah go do all that and uh, find all that, that good work. Oh, Carolyn. And then uh, the other thing, that's what it is. We're supposed to tell them about. We got two things, three things, a handful of things. One, um, you should email us. We have an email. It's teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com. Send us an email, uh, a work-appropriate email, and um, uh, maybe we'll read it on the air. Give us feedback, whatever. And then the other thing is, thanks to our good friends at Introduced, uh, we were inspired to create a hotline. And so we need you to call our hotline. I want you to right now, you're on your phone listening to a podcast. Hit pause. Well, not yet. Hit pause in a minute. <laughs> um, and dial this number. Uh, area code 765-496-IISG. That's for Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. That's 496-4474. 
and uh, call and tell us your Great Lakes story. We're really interested in hearing from you, uh, and maybe we'll play it on the air. Uh, so give us a call there. Um, send us an email. I haven't asked you to rate and review the show for a while. Do that, too. Do all of these things. That's all I have. It's a free show. You can do those three things for us, and we appreciate you doing it. Um, and in between now and then, we'll see you on the first Monday of every month and the third Monday of most months, or as Carolyn puts it, every month. And uh, until then, <laughs> keep grading those lakes. Beep, 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 beep.